welcome to episode two of Slaytanik Verkast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. Each week, we dissect a track from their back catalogue by playing through the song, analysing the lyrics, and giving a final appraisal. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting from an abandoned insane asylum somewhere near Hagley, it's Dr. Lequescence. How you doing, Doc? Very well, thank you very much. I'm sort of in here as my spirit, in, in my spiritual home, um, as you might well imagine, being a, a, um, an abandoned insane asylum somewhere near Hagley. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when I was at school, probably even before I met you, um, and people used to say to me, you're going to wind up in such and such a place. And now I have. So it's not merely wish fulfillment. It's a prophecy fulfilled of sorts. Now, was it a dream or a nightmare? You're assuming there's a difference. Well, I suppose so. You know, to, to, um, to many people, the, you know, the idea of, of an insane asylum is, is a terrifying concept. But it seems to me you take, you, you, you delight in it. There can be no insane asylum worse and more harrowing than the inside of my own head. Fair enough. Fair enough. I thought today we could start by talking about our most memorable gigs. Um, So that's my question to you, Doc. Tell me about your most memorable gig. Be it a metal gig, a hardcore gig, a Kylie Minogue gig. It doesn't matter. You tell me. Um, Three spring to mind immediately. Um, Fat tulips at the barrel organ in Digbeth. Mm-hmm. which would have been very close to the end of the year 1990. Mm-hmm. What was it great? Because um, it was an absolute shambles. Mm-hmm. Um, fairly early on in my going to live shows career, and I suppose I had an idea that all live shows were sort of superbly managed and had pyrotechnics and lights um, and stagecraft and stuff like you saw on the television. Sure. Um, and when I first started going to small shows and I realised it wasn't actually usually quite like that, and that particular night, um, nothing worked. Um, the drum kit, um, and I, I, I think the bits of duct tape holding the drum kit together were the most expensive parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kept falling to bits at inopportune moments. Um, anyone who ever went to the barrel organ in the early 90s remembers that the sound engineer couldn't um, literally couldn't manage to bring out more than one sound source mm. at any given time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, uh, I loved every minute of it. Number two? Um, uh, another one. Um, oddly enough, um, just in terms of atmosphere and just in terms of hype and tension and the idea that um, you're actually there for something... Blur at the Wheat Sheaf in Stoke in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, never been anywhere, never been to another show um, so comprehensively rammed with people who looked like they really, really wanted to be there. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, sort of at, at the um, at the rebirth. Now, is that pre-Blur fame, 93? That, that kind of sounds pre-part life to me. It was definitely pre-Park Life. It was yeah. um, it was the pre-release tourette for tourette tourettes. Do you get it? I've got it, mate. I've got it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how many other people would, but keep going. It's it, it was the um, the pre-release uh, tourette um, for the Modern Life Is Rubbish album. Oh yes, okay, yes. Yeah. So, oh, so you're a proper hipster. Number three. Um. It might actually have been the Mighty Slayer at Nottingham Rock City. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, you were there. Yeah. Um, many of our friends were there. Mm. Um, there was an added air of tension because we just about made it on time. Um, mm. Because once again, anyone who's ever tried to drive in Nottingham will know the torturous one-way system very, very well. Of course. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, um, it, it, it seems designed, to, you, you, you know, it, it, a road system clearly created from the, from, from, from the mind of a, of, of a lunatic. 
Well, if that was true, I would have understood it. <laughs> and I didn't. No, that's true. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was a cracker. For me, my two would be um, Sepultura in Wolverhampton on the Arise Tour, a room that contains, it's a civic hall in Wolverhampton, a room that contains a maximum of a thousand people. I think they squeezed about 1500 in um, somehow. They absolutely tore the place apart. It was deafening. The only time I've ever thought that my lungs were going to burst because of the, the, the sonic vibrations being created. It was incredible. And the, and the lack of breathable air, one assumes. Well, that's true as well, of course, yeah. Um, and then my, uh, my number one for me certainly is Bolt Thrower at the uh, pub called the General Wolf in Coventry. Yes. Um, a room of a hundred people max, I would say. Um, just a, a great atmosphere. I got uh, by the end of the gig, my ribs were, were, were swollen and my nose was bleeding um, because, you know, in the mosh, somebody inadvertently, totally accidentally kind of smacked their head against my face. Um, so blood was dripping all down my face. I got to speak to the band, which was fabulous. Um, and, you know, it was just generally, um, how can we say this delicately? Metal as Fuck. Um, Our younger um, listeners, particularly those not used to the ways of the UK, it probably be worth reminding them at small shows, uh, the Civic I'm not sure about, but at little shows, so at the Witch Chief or at the General Wolf or at the Barrel Organ, there was absolutely nothing in the way of fire regulations on any no, of those places. No security. A, no security, no prohibition against smoking. No pretty much whatever you liked i think that's true so oh, certainly uh, yeah certainly I've, I've dabbled in um the benton and hendrix during yes. um you know during during a concert that's for sure um so yeah the, the halcyon days halcyon yeah. days let's move on i think we should in this part of the show we listen to the track of the week um and this week the track is from Slayer's debut album, Show No Mercy, and the track is entitled The Antichrist. Let's go. It's quite raucous, I would say, this, this intro riff. But I would also say it's quite hard rock. I don't know what you what, what, what are your thoughts, Doc? I need to poll your opinion on this because mm. there's a couple of influences at work here mm. that I can't place. Sure. Um, the obvious ones, you know, which is uh, what everyone learns on their Slayer 101 course, um, is Judas Priest. Of course, there's a ton, there's a ton of Judas Priest in there. Um, there's another influence which I know for being an influence although I can't track down its source, I've heard it all over the place. Um, would it be, you know, you know this better than I do, would this be Paul Diano era Iron Maiden I can hear sneaking into there? Yeah, but certainly it's new of them, isn't it? I mean, and maybe, that, you know, maybe that's redundant really to say new of them because obviously Maiden and Priest are, you know, the princes of the, of the new of them universe. But yes, certainly. Yeah, that riff would not be out of place on Maiden's first album. I, I totally, totally agree. Yeah, great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's keep going. by this point, I would say, you know, that the second riff has got a bit more kind of, a bit more darkness to it. It's a bit more minor, I suppose, but still, you know, it's quite, you know, when, when we think where Slayer go to later, this, this feels very, um, very tame to me. 
Um, this whole first album, I think, is going to be a really interesting experience for me. Mm. Um, something that should have occurred to me long ago and didn't. First albums by hardworking touring bands normally end up as a grab bag or a best of of songs that they probably accumulated over the last between two and four years. Mm -hmm. So by the time Slayer came to make their first album, they've been touring band for how long? Four years already? Probably. Um, and so the, the, the 10 or 12 tracks that we get on here are probably the, the juiciest cuts from, I'm going to take a guess at probably they recorded another four or five tracks that didn't make the cut onto the album. Sure. Um, and then they'd already ditched 20 tracks from their live schedule already. Of course. Um, so I, I don't think it's particularly surprising that the first album of any hardworking touring band mm. um, covers a bunch of styles, a bunch of different influences. Um, if you want to survive and make money as a band on the road or a band on the scene, I think you need to pick up styles and ditch them pretty quickly if you're going to stay contemporary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, The high-pitched uh, Tom Array vocals are back, uh, which we talked about last episode. I don't like them. I can... Um, make a statement to the effect of the dignity of Judas Priest mm -hmm. with a completely straight face. Mm -hmm. When anybody else does it, um, they probably shouldn't. Oh, you're right. Solo time, you ready? Yep. Now that's a change, isn't it? That's a great change up there. I love that. Absolutely. Um, theme I'm going to keep coming back to in this song um, is this is all and I think my opinion prejudice is going to be confirmed as we work through the album it's the sound of a band on uh, who, who are playing live a lot mm -hmm. um, these are all songs that there's no flab on them um, there's no time wasted in the studio with compositions these are songs that have been played in front of people many, many times, and they've mm -hmm. been honed according to what the audience reaction is. I don't uh, think there's a song on this album. Now, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but I don't think there's a song on this album above four minutes 20. That would make perfect sense. Yeah, they, 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 they are stripped of the bone. You know, you know, uh, intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, break, verse, chorus, outro, we're gone. See you later. And that change that you just alluded to, um, I think that comes from touring, it comes from playing live, yeah. it comes from judging audience reactions. Yeah. And they tried that one night, the audience went berserk at that change, and yeah. that's why it's there. I mean, you, you could see how an audience could buzz off that and bounce, no doubt. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Chromatic solo in there. I, I, I think that's Hanneman. What do you think? Um, if if the legends are correct, if the modus operandi are uh, are correct, yeah, yeah, that should be a Hanneman. That's a Hanneman. Rest in peace, Jeff. Let's wait for the king. <laughs> Back in, and that was a good transition back in, wasn't it? That was, it, it, 
it flowed really nicely. There was no kind of spike, no weirdness to it. It just seemed to naturally transition back into the roof. Absolutely. Yeah, it flowed nicely. is track two from Show No Mercy, The Antichrist. Um, initial impressions? Um, I liked it. I enjoyed yeah. it a great deal. Mm -hmm. um, different to the first track that we listened to last week. Mm -hmm. um, the things it has in common uh, are, is, is still a full-fronted and rather crude interpretation of pop culture Satanism. Mm -hmm. This, I should point out, is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, we made some comments last week um, about how the I should put this off until we get around to discussing the lyrics. But I'm going to say, you know, maybe save the, the you know the the, the 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 verbiage for the for the lyric section. But go on. Yeah, right. Um, since I appear to have broken the flow now, and I'm going to probably have caused you an edit, I'm going to ask you to do an experiment. Um, you did this earlier on when you were queuing up the track, and I believe you fast forwarded it. I believe you played the track at double speed. I did. Could you do that now? I want to see if you can hear what I can hear. What, the whole song? Um, say 20 seconds of it, compressed down to 10 seconds. Hang on, man. I mean, besides yeah, obviously, you know, the, the, the immortal plane, basically. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, can you not imagine that as a lesser track off Rain and Death, or off Rain and Blood? Point in case, uh -huh. um, this album, we discussed last week, this album has all of the elements that would make it into classic period Slayer. Sure. I put it to you that the big difference is, in classic period Slayer, they play them twice as fast. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually think the the the, the guitar playing technique is different, um, and so it would not it would not sound the same um, because they're not they're not kind of double strumming on single strings in the same way that they do when they're playing the Rainy Blood stuff because you can't play multiple strings at speed in this you know so you have to so to get. To get to Rainy Blood kind of speed, you have to you have to drop down to playing just a single string, um, gotcha. which is why Rainy Blood, um, you know, it, it it sounds a bit um, it, it sounds much more punky, I suppose, um, right. and it, and it's just down to the guitar playing technique. But, 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 but I'll take your point, um, you know, the, the, if you double the speed, it starts to sound much more kind of on the edge between extreme thrash and extreme punk. Um, but no, I, I don't hear, I don't really hear Rainy Blood in this. Um, I'll try something else then. So bow to your expertise, definitely, understood. Um, could you, in that case, begin to hear the very beginnings of early '90s Norwegian black metal? Oh, I, I think that's much more. I think that's much closer to the mark. Um, yeah, certainly. I think you know. Uh, yeah, like double double pace this track, and 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 you are getting getting into some kind of 
you know, like, like primitive raw black metal kind of stuff going on. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree. I gotcha. totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts, Doc? Um, on the song <laughs> itself. So I, I almost feel as though listening to it, um, everyone talks about the, the, the visual nature of Slayer mm. um, and the, the images they conjure up. Um, and of course, what people are referring to, which is something that Slayer do almost inca uh, incomparably well, which is summon up images of um, atrocity and carnage and human suffering. Um, this album or this track is um, cinematic in a completely different way. Um, it's cinematic concerning the exact history of Slayer. Mm -hmm. um, what Slayer had done to, I, I can't listen to this track and not imagine in my mind's eye them playing live and what the show would have been like and what the venue would have been like and what the crowd would have been like. Mm -hmm. um, there's a point I want to make here, which is um, I need to ask you if I'm correct first, because if I'm not correct, it'll completely undermine my next point. Slayer are from Los Angeles, are they not? Um, Slayer, I, yeah, 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 Los Angeles, San Francisco, I think those two cities kind of fight over propriety of Slayer. Right. Yeah. This they're, is important. They both want ownership. Yeah. Um, San Francisco is obviously the capital of West Coast thrash. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I believe it's where um, Metallica and Megadeth and um, Obituary... Obituary are not thrash metal. So. No, I think Obituary are Florida. I think that's Tampa Bay. Yes, um, and, we're, and, and we're into the death metal era there. Sure. Yeah. Um, San Francisco is known for its somewhat laid-back lifestyle, and um, it's a, a relatively expensive place to live and a relatively cramped space to live, but once you get into the Bay Area in Oakland, mm -hmm. then you have some larger spaces which are more affordable. Um, and if you want to germinate a sound in a live setting, mm -hmm. um, San Francisco is sort of legendarily forgiving um for you being able to do that i don't, know if, Angeles, I don't know if this is relevant so, sorry to interrupt i don't know if it's relevant but i think slayer considered their war at the warfield release kind of their homecoming that definitely suggests that they you know that they considered san francisco their home um because i eternally san francisco is the spiritual home of all subculture and all psychedelic culture and yeah. all and all extreme culture. And of course, Bay Area Thrash is, 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 is a title that we are all familiar with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sure. um, but you go back to 19, 1968, or no, you, you go back to the late 50s, um, and San Francisco was the breeding ground for probably what globally we'd call counterculture or subculture now. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Los Angeles is just about the polar opposite. Um, it's demanding, it, it's a city which is demanding in its turnover of new styles and new fashion. Mm -hmm. It's very unforgiving of anything that's even slightly outdated. Yeah. Um, I, I'm um, blessed. I've, I've been to both cities. Um, uh, nutshell nutshell um, opinions. Absolutely love San Francisco. Sorry, LA people. What a shithole. <laughs> um, I somehow don't think you're unique in that opinion. I'm going to be more diplomatic um, and say that the people who live in both places are borderline nationalistic mm. about how great their town is. Mm. Um, this sounds like an album, or this sounds like the work of a band who were... Um, up against the the gladiatorial ropes, mixed metaphor there, um, the gladiatorial ropes of the demands of the Los Angeles scene, mm -hmm. um, where if you want to survive, you have to be constantly at the forefront of what's new and then going forward. Um, Metallica sound always sound like a San Francisco band to me. Sure. They sound like a band who've been given plenty of time and space mm -hmm. and patience mm -hmm. to hone mm -hmm. their sound and become unique. Mm -hmm. And money. Don't forget, don't forget the uh, the budget that Metallica were given compared to their contemporaries. I think that's something that's often overlooked. But maybe that's a discussion for another day. Um, let's move on to the next section of the podcast.
Welcome to part three of the podcast. And this is where we dissect the lyrics that Tom screams in our general direction. Um, here we go, verse one. Screams and nightmares of a life I want. Can't see living this lie. No, a world I haunt. You've lost all control of my heart and soul. Satan holds my future. Watch it unfold. What's he talking about? Um, who, um, what kind of character? Um, is, 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 is singing these lyrics. Um, mm-hmm. Let's start by saying, um, how often do you think Slayer write lyrics from um, the narratorial viewpoint and how many times do you think Slayer write lyrics from the third person viewpoint? So in other words, um, how often is it Tom Araya you're listening to or how often is it a character played by Tom Araya that you're listening to? That's a really, really good question. And, and in fact, I think very often you know, they, they blur the lines, don't they? They don't make it clear. Um, yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in another essay I wrote on another subject, I'm going to say that Tom Araya constantly performs in character and very often he performs as a character called Tom Araya. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, so these are, these are not the words of going back to what I was talking about a little while ago, these are not the words of men who are relatively in control of their futures, their lives and their careers, um, and have just begun an exciting new part um, of the whole business of being in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Screams and nightmares of a life I want. Mm-hmm. Can't see living this lie. Um, what is it about? Superficially, it's more pop culture Satanism. Mm -hmm. Um, Equally superficially, perhaps. um, Is it slightly dressed up teenage angst? To me, me it's total gibberish. Right. Um, I think it's it's a sequence of words that work well in the scheme of the song. but I, but I think you know it, I think if we try to look for a meaning in this in this first verse, you know we, I, I really think we are flogging a dead horse. I don't think these words mean a single thing. Is it possible, Doc? Of course, it's possible. Um, I don't demand that lyrics have meaning. Uh, you recall, it's not a criticism. Um, you recall one of my favourite bands is Cocteau Twins, who notoriously don't have lyrics. Sure. Or, don't have lyrics in any language that wasn't made up by Elizabeth Fraser. Um, they're noises made by someone's mouth that work well in the context of the song. Um, I, I can't resist, um, if we go on a bit, uh, he says, torture is what I love. I mean, it's kind of what I love too, and I can't resist trying to torture meaning um, and sense. And you occasionally get the idea that songs like this they're like someone who's had a few too many shots of sodium pentothal and a Mm. few too many electric shocks to the groin Mm. um and i'm here trying to get some damn sense out of them when actually the mind has long since departed the skull i mean i suppose the the only bit that 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 i think is vaguely coherent are the last two lines satan holds my future watch it unfold I mean, at, at, at least that's coherent and, and there's some kind of narrative to it. Um, you know, I mean, obviously it's quite dark, but, you know, as you say, you know, to go back to your original point, maybe that is like a like an adolescent um, uh, cry of frustration, basically. You know, if, if normal society isn't going to accept me, then maybe Satan will, and we'll see what happens. <clears throat> um, leave out the word Satan. Yeah. Um, I think it's possible to read it merely as an adolescent longing for the adult world. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
um, getting a car, being able to buy booze legally. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it, it could be the bank holds my future. Watch it unfold. Yes. Quite equally, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean it, it, it clearly, you know, it, the, the lyrics work with in context of the song. Um, but but actually, as <coughs> themselves, I find them. I find, I find them quite wanting, really. I don't think we can really we, we can really make the case that they're great lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, I just can't ever get my head around the idea that you might start off um, in the practice room with some bad words, or you might start off with la 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 la, just to have some vocals to go mm -hmm. along with. But I can't believe after you've lived with the lyrics to a song for however long, several months, possibly even several years, you don't try and make them better. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's look at the second verse and then the third verse and we'll see if it makes sense of the first. Exactly, I, th I think, uh, yeah, exactly, as we work through. So, so next up, we've got the chorus. I am the Antichrist, it's what I was meant to be. Your God left me behind and set my soul to be free. Um, Nothing to do with what we understand about the, anti the, the, the Antichrist of the Book of Revelation or the Antichrist mm -hmm. of pop cultural Satanism. Mm -hmm. um, no, nothing to do with what we understand about the Antichrist at all. No. Um, set my soul. The, the, the line that interests me is it, I am the Antichrist. It's what I was meant to be. Again, this, this is kind of like a power fantasy, isn't it, basically? Um, you know, and, 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 and that's understandable. You know, I imagine they've watched The Omen a few times as they're writing this song, you know. The, 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 incidentally, the, 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 music, the music is by, is credited to King and Hanneman. The lyrics are credited to Hanneman alone. Um, so, you know, I'm guessing, you know, Jeff, you know, as, as he's writing this is, you know, he's kind of six cans deep into a, in, into a pack um, and he's watched The Omen. That, that's my impression, Doc. What about you? Yeah, um, and I suppose there's always the point that um, if the chorus went, I am the Antichrist, I had a privileged background and went to a really expensive public school, um, and now I'm a highly successful diplomat and businessman. Mm. It wouldn't really be a very good metal chorus, would it? That's true, that's true, so exactly. Um, but that, that, And set my soul to be free? What does that mean? Your God left me behind and set my soul to be to be free. So this is like a like a Catholic renouncing his or her Catholicism and then finding like a life of liberation. Is, is, is this the idea? That would make more sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, the 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 depiction of the Antichrist we get to see in the Omen um, is as bound by obligation and destiny um, as any biblical conception of Jesus is. I suppose that's true. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's very um, drained, isn't he? Yeah, you're right. Um, let, let's go on to verse two. Watching disciples of the satanic rule, pentagram of blood, Holds the jackal's truth, searching for the answer. Christ hasn't come, awaiting the final moment, the birth of Satan's son. Now, this is why I think this is the omen. You know, the, 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 the references here are clearly lifted straight from the omen. If you've watched the omen, references to jackals abound. Um, the final moment of the of, of, of the movie, the final moment of the movie. Is, 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 you know, the, um, the, the potential arrival of, of, of Satan um, or Satan's son and the prevention, you know, by the, by the main character taking desperate measures. Um, yeah, honestly, I think this song is about the omen. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that versus for sure. Yeah. Um, I think probably even as late as 1984, um, there were rumours of um, a, a secret grimoire, yeah. um, which um, I imagine you could probably mail order from the back pages of a metal fanzine somewhere. Mm. Um, because when, whenever you had a, a successful cultural artefact like the Omen, um, the, the, the funny occultists would immediately get up in arms and say that the... Um, the filmmakers had um, somehow gained access to a, 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 a forbidden grimoire, sure. um, uh, which word. they had. Uh, grimoire, what a great word! <laughs> grimoire is a great word. Uh, you have to roll the R on it too. <laughs> grimoire, and yes. you, you, you've got to give that French uh, at the end. Grimoire. <laughs> well, it's better than spellbook, isn't it? <laughs> um, so. The, the occultists would immediately get up in arms and start complaining that the, um, the filmmakers had, um, had, had, had copied one of their sacred te texts and misused it. Um, and um, I think Slayer had seen The Omen. I also think at least one member of Slayer had saved up his coupons or saved up the things that you cut out of the back of cereal packs in those, or whatever it was in those days, or sent their um, postal order for 70 pence. Um, off to the P.O. box in the back of whatever metal fanzine they were reading at the time um, and received their shitty paperback copy of The Truth About Satan and the Antichrist. Mm. Um, and I think that's where they got it from. Sure. Um, in a very real sense, it is an ancient, forbidden, forgotten grimoire. Uh, it doesn't contain anything approaching occult truth or philosophical truth or real magic or anything like that, but... Um, those publications were real. They were strictly for the initiated. Mm -hmm. um, you had to undergo a trial and an initiation in order to get hold of, get hold of them and read them. Um, and now they're gone from the world and probably preserved in no meaningful form. Sure. Um, maybe there's one copy bound in human flesh in <laughs> a library in a small town in rural Massachusetts somewhere. I, did, I imagine Glenn Benton's got a couple lying around. Uh, I imagine he's got a jealously guarded collection of them. <laughs> Let's move on um, to the next. Uh, the, 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 in fact, the final part of the lyrics here, because after that, we're just getting to repetition. Um, and it, 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 it's labelled as The Bridge, and it goes like this. Screams from a life I live. Torment is what I give. Torture is what I love. The downfall of heavens above. Uh, and then he goes into I am the Antichrist for, for, for the final chorus. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty simple stuff, isn't it? You know, um, you know, take a bunch of scary sounding words, scream, torment, torture, downfall, and then kind of lace them with, you know, with a bit of narrative, really. It, it's smart. It, it's really effective. Um, I really like it. Um, yeah, I mean, once again, no coherence whatsoever oh, with anything we know about the, the the path in life that's supposed to be preordained for the antichrist mm -hmm. um uh yeah it, it's um it's a chance for him to uh, wail like he's been stuck <laughs> with hot knives wired up to the mains or something um and it, it, it's 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 got some it's got some metal sounding words in it such as sure. torment and torture and downfall exactly um but no, it don't make a lick of sense. It doesn't make a bunch of sense, does it, at all? Not, not a um, single jot of sense, no. It's total nonsense. Um, final thoughts on the lyrics, Doc? Well, it's, it's cookie-cutter metal stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's certainly no worse than the lyrics that were being pounded out by many other metal bands all across the world. Mm -hmm. Um I mean, if you want to know how lyrics, how bad lyrics really can get, um, 
there is a legendary metal band from very, very close to my abandoned uh, mental asylum at the moment. Hang on. Um, Can I guess? Yes. Can I, it, it, it's not Benediction, is it? Um, no, 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 no. That they're, they're, they're from a good ten or fifteen miles away. No, oh, really, really close. Really, <laughs> really close. In fact, the back cover of their first album um, was photographed in Kinver in Staffordshire. Oh blimey! Okay. Uh, it's which it's which finder general, mate. Oh yes, of course. Yes, uh, legendary um, new album um, stuff. Yeah, and if you want to know how bad metal lyrics really can get, mm. you should probably read the lyric sheet to their album. Mm. Um, so I mean, no, uh, Slayer are by no means the worst at it. Um, question, counter question for you. Um, was there anyone in metal at the time writing what you would call good lyrics? Oh, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I mean, and, 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 and I think my automatic answer is no. I don't think metal really developed decent kind of um, pensmanship in terms of uh, lyrics until late 80s, 88, 89. I think you need to get to, you know, things like um, Holy Wars, The Punishment Due, you know, that kind of, and, and, and Slayer themselves, you know, Seasons in the Abyss probably, maybe South of Heaven, you know, uh, where, where things start to get a little bit more sophisticated. Metallica, sure, you know, and Justice for All has got some, you know, some, some pretty, uh, you know, some pretty deep stuff going on there. Uh, but no, 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 back in 1983, it was pretty, uh, you know, belts and braces, um, you know, just, you know, the, the words fit the music, irrespective of, of how good the words are, if you see what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and to be honest, I have no objection to it. Um, for me, I think these lyrics are pretty terrible, you know, all puerile, juvenile, absolutely crap. I fucking love them. Um, listeners should know one of the reasons we're doing this exercise at the end of every episode is um, it started off and I wanted to confront the bland assumption that um, all early metal lyrics um, are puerile, juvenile nonsense um, that are um, concerned only with um, adolescent power fantasies, uh, cheap beer um, and disappointing sex. Um, I don't even know what our conclusion is going to be mm. um, with uh, Viz Slayer and this question. Um, so far, I'm actually finding difficulty, finding material to actually back up my, 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 my confrontational thesis. Mm -hmm. What I want to be able to do at some point during the examination of these first couple of Slayer albums um, is to be able to come up with some song words and go, right, this is what you show to people to shut them up. Mm -hmm. um, when people talk about the, the, the puerility um, and the anti-intellectualism of heavy metal in general and early thrash, um, then you can show this to them. Mm -hmm. um, these people, you know, th this, this is the moment of transition. Um, this is when people started paying attention to the words they were writing instead of merely the sounds they were making. Mm -hmm. um, I think I might be in for a bit of a wait. We're certainly not there yet, are we? No. Not there yet. Let's move on. Okay, welcome to the final part of the podcast where we really just talk about our final thoughts, summations of um, what we've listened to and talk about anything that we, we, we haven't already mentioned. For me, I think the, 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 the principal thing I want to mention is this song was a mainstay of Slayer Live for as long as I can remember. I think it was only in the last five years, really, that they dropped it as, 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 as a track that was always played. Um, and I always, I, I always found it a bit confusing why this one was so beloved clearly by them. Um, I think we got to the root of that very, very early on in this discussion. Mm. Um, it, I think it evolved um, in the live environment as a crowd pleaser. <clears throat> um, and I think it stayed in the set as a consistent crowd pleaser. 
Because I think, I, under, I understand that as a band, you want to, you know, play a song from every album so then nobody can criticise you. You know what I mean? Um, but there are, well, there is certainly one song from this album, which I will not yet mention, that I think is head and shoulders above anything else on this album. Interesting. Um, and they barely ever played that live. Now, I, I know that I'm being a bit cryptic, but it's just, for, you know, I, I don't want to spoil things from the future. Um, but this one, time and time again, it was guaranteed. You know, that they would start, they would either, uh, live, my experience of Slayer, live, they either start with War Ensemble or they start with Angel of Death and then track two is the Antichrist. Pretty, pretty much throughout their, you know, throughout their, 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 their you know, their, their gigging career. Uh, certainly, when I saw them, um, I've got a couple of a couple of, of reasons to add um, why why it's number two on the album and number two in the set list. In a live set, the first track you play has got to grab the audience by the balls and make everyone pay attention. Mm -hmm. um, then. If you think of playing a live show as some kind of athletics, you then need, um, after, after you're off the starting blocks, you need to hit a pace that you can maintain mm -hmm. to size up how the race is going to go for you. Mm -hmm. um, you have a solid crowd pleaser like this, and it gives you, as a member of the band, a chance to look at the audience, a chance to, a chance to feel the vibe, mate, a chance to feel what's going on. Ooh. And as every scientist knows, um, when you're doing an experiment, you also have a control, mm. which is a thing that you know is going to produce completely reliable results so yeah. that you can make sure that your environment is correct and your instruments are set up properly mm. uh, and that you're observing things correctly. Yeah. And I think um, this is the same way that a biologist has their thermos flask of dead peas mm. um, as a control in their whatever other experiment they're doing. I think this is their control. Mm -hmm. I think um, after their, um, their killer track to blow up in the set, this is the one thing that's been completely consistent throughout their whole entire career and which they can use as a measuring stick um, to possibly decide how the set is going to go from there. Yes, yeah, so kind of what, what, what's the vibe tonight? You know, what, what's, yeah. what's the audience mood? Has the, you know, has the sound, how is the sound engineer set it all up? Is everything good, basically? So, yeah. so basically you're saying if the Antichrist kicks it live, they know they're in for a good night. Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, if the response of the crowd is lackluster, then maybe they need to go a little harder on the aggression for whatever their next track is. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, if the crowd is getting too rowdy, even and I, I don't know what rowdy by Slayer standards would be. Mm. Um, a third world food riot, I imagine. Mm. I, I guess that's down to the drummer, isn't it? You know, if, if it's if it, if it feels a bit kind of flat, then the drummer's going to kind of pick up the pace. Of, you know, you know. Um... Um, the drummer can pick up the pace. The uh, the front man. Uh, the, the, the main man, the in, in this case, the vocalist and bass player can goad the audience or aggravate the audience or congratulate the audience. Yeah, he's not um, a big talker, is he, Tom? He's sorry? Not he's not a big talker, Tom. Um, nobody doesn't need to be. Um, two or three words from, from Tom are, are, are worth minutes of exposition from other front mm. men. Mm. Yeah, it, 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 is, it is something that, that, that I've always felt was maybe a little bit lacking from Slayer's live performances was, you know, just a bit of um, audience interaction, I suppose. But, but then again, you know, when, when your music is so ferocious, maybe that just kills the, the impetus, you know. So, yeah, so, you know, it, it, it's a tough call. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, to get back to your question, I think that's why this is this this is track number two on the album, and why it's consistently yeah. track number two in the live set as well. Yeah, yeah. What are your final thoughts, uh, Doc? It's a good track. Mm. Um, I didn't. It wasn't so much of a, a, a welcome breeze 
a, a cool, well, a, a welcome cool breeze um, as track number one was. Um, it's, I can't believe I'm going to use this word with a completely straight face, considering that we've actually been pretty unkind about it mm. during this, uh, this thing. Um, it displays a maturity. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, it's the sound of a band who are willing to um, change, I won't say on the fly, but um, who are willing to make iterative changes to what they sound like. Um, it's the sound of a band in rapid growth. Are you ready to reveal your score? I am, yeah. So uh, how many how many liquescent swords are we getting for the This is getting... This is getting six liquescent swords out of ten. Well, no, 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 no. I'm a little bit irritated by that, actually, because for the second week in a row, we're giving the same score. It's also getting six Moe's mutilated skulls. Now, I don't want anybody listening to think that we're just copying each other. But you know, we can only say what we we can only we can only say what we think, can't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't <clears throat> make any secret of the fact that. Um, I don't give tens and I don't give zeros. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's three tracks we're going to listen to over the next couple of years um, that I will seriously consider giving ten for. You never give a ten. Um, it's it's the equivalent of saying, "What's your favourite song?" Isn't it? I will give tens on occasion. You know, um, I think there will be rare occasions, but I, but I think a ten is merited on from time to time. You know. Yeah, uh, I mean, as I say, that there are there are three songs in the the Slayer catalogue that I know to, um, which I will seriously consider awarding tens to. Now the scores are in, so I think unless you have anything else to say, Doctor Lequescence, we'll end the episode there. What do you think? It's a great idea. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone else for um, listening with us thus far. Mm -hmm. um, we'll be back at the same time with another Slayer track to discuss, and we would very much like to see you there too. Now, do you know what the next Slayer track will be? By no, Jan I don't. Would you like to share that with me? I'm going to tell you now, the homework for our listeners will be track three from Show No Mercy, Die by the sword. <laughs>